If you want to follow along in your Bibles, if you have them, we're in chapter 5 of Matthew. Sermon on the Mount, we hit the first four Beatitudes, I guess, this uh, last week. Uh, this week we're going to look at the, the next one. Um, but the key here, again, when you're looking at any type of text, whether it's a Bible text or a newspaper article, it's nice to know who the audience is. Uh, the audience here is people who follow Jesus as disciples, one of the key verses is uh, don't be like them. And that doesn't mean you don't associate with people who have different worldviews, but you don't have the same actions uh, as, uh, as they do. So, so it's not just about what we are not to do, but why we do those things. And so when we look at the Beatitudes, I think we uh, sometimes misinterpret these. And John Stott helps us with, uh, and that's where I got this uh, idea many years ago when I read a book on the Sermon on the Mount by John Stott, who's passed on now. But the biggest misunderstanding is th these are not eight separate groups of disciples, but eight qualities of one group. And I think once we understand that, uh, every Christian ought to be this way, and, and it helps us understand. So I'm going to read the whole thing again to kind of give us some context. It's 1 through 12, and then we'll look at them again. So seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So there's your audience. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So last week we looked at the first four of the Beatitudes, looking at this as essentially a Christian's attitude toward God and trying to understand how it works, and that true Christian discipleship starts with humility before God, and we kind of looked at these, looking at humility, repentance, a realistic view of yourself, and then the desire to obey. All that's kind of encapsulated in these first four, and I, I mentioned, and I think it works if you're a believer and you want to tell other people about how you come to faith, the first four Beatitudes are kind of helpful. They're kind of like a, a step into discipleship. Understanding you're poor in spirit, you have humility you, before a holy God, and then understanding you need, you will have the kingdom of heaven if you start understanding the, your guilt before a holy God. So you mourn that guilt. You, you, it's, this isn't the mourning of bereavement, it's more the mourning of I'm falling short. And so what do you do when you mourn? You, you repent. And if you repent, you're comforted. You know, that's kind of what number, the second one says. The third one, blessed are the meek, which is really a, a strong... Uh, uh, a strong character, knowing that you're humble, but knowing you're also a child of God. You inherit the earth, and that inheritance word is only given to those who follow Yahweh, in this case, Jesus. And so, if, and once you have that, now you're in, you have eternal life, now you hunger and thirst for righteousness. That spirit comes in us and says, you know, guides us into the word. And if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be feel, filled by the spirit, by God coming into your life. So that's kind of a synopsis of what we talked about last week, looking at each one of those. This week, the second four is kind of the Christian's attitude 
toward their fellow human beings. Um, and it's all because we follow Jesus. We, we remember this from John 14 in the Upper Room Discourse. It's real short, pretty easy to remember. If you love me, keep my commandments. And you can do the opposite, right? If you're not keeping my commandments, you're not showing love for me. Uh, it's kind of an interesting relationship. We've talked about that before. If I came up to you and said, you know, I'd like to be friends, but you need to obey everything I tell you. You might not want to be my friend. If you do that to me, I would not want to be yours. <laughs> but, but, that's, but that's a different. That's human-human. This is God. How do we show our love for God? By being obedient. Uh, that's in the Bible everywhere. Um, and again, it's kind of back to the, we talked about reality. You know, you might, I might say that. It's like, well, I don't know if I like that. It really doesn't make a difference if you like it. Is it true? <laughs> we can talk about liking it later. Uh, there's a lot of things in life I don't like that are true, right? I mean, what's the two things that are always inevitable? Death and taxes. I'm not sure I like either one of those. Uh, but, uh, but so, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Now, mercy and grace are hard. The Greek words are very close. And I kind of see mercy as different from grace. It's kind of a subset. Uh, mercy deals with kindness and compassion. Uh, so not punishing for sin is what God does for us. He doesn't. That's mercy. Do we deserve to be punished? Yes. Mercy says, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, grace includes this, I think, but also goes a little farther with the idea of bestowing a gift. You know, so mercy kind of leaves you without the punishment. Grace gives you the heirs thing that we get in, in you know, your heir of the promise, you're part of the kingdom. And you're seen as righteous before God. So mercy is kind of undeserved kindness. That's showing mercy to a, you know, someone who's not very nice to you. That, that's, that's, that's mercy. Grace is undeserved merit. So God looks at us, those who believe, and sees us as blameless. That's, that's grace. So part of the meekness that we talk about, part, part of knowing who we are before God, humble but yet chosen and free because of the Spirit, and we understand we need God's mercy, and as his ambassadors, we are to extend mercy to others. That's the acting that to other people. And this same truth is taught in the next chapter, and we'll hit it pretty hard next chapter. Um, I mean, look at this verse. This is at the end of the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I don't know if you completely do this. I did it a few weeks ago, and, and you can kind of do it. It's a little bit contrived, but you can actually take the eight Beatitudes, and then you can take the rest of Matthew and kind of squeeze them in there. It, it's kind of, but think about this. When you read this verse by itself, you might think, I have to be gracious to other people for God to be gracious to me. That's not really what it means. If you think about the Beatitudes, if you truly are humble before God and you truly are now a child of God by his grace, why wouldn't you want to extend grace to other people? It's not I have to be gracious to be saved. It's I'm saved because I, I'm, I'm, I'm gracious because I'm saved. I'm gracious because I'm in there. That's the way I'm, I'm supposed to act like the family acts like the parent acts, you know, this is kind of, so don't look at it that way. It's like, you know, somebody wrongs you, and it, this is hard stuff. We'll get to this a little bit more when we do the Lord's Prayer in this verse, but it's not easy to forgive people, is it? It's tough, um, and I think, but again, it's, 
that comes with time and emotion and all that, but just knowing that you're supposed to is... And again, do you forgive people who are unrepentant? Well, how do you do that? Does God forgive people who are unrepentant? Then probably we shouldn't either, but be ready. Always be ready. So that, that whole idea of extending mercy comes from our character because it's been changed by, our, by the Spirit regenerating us and becoming a child of God. It isn't something it's just we do because, well, I don't really want to do the mercy. And there are times it's that way, right? Wait to get to love your enemies. Um, that one's a hard one to conjure up, right? And then it goes on, blessed are the pure in heart. Well, that's that idea that you're, you know, they will see God. Which if you think about it, Jew listen to this. Think about, you know, go back to Exodus, you know, when they didn't even want to get near the mountain, let alone see God. So this is a pretty cool thing. But pure in heart is in the Psalms. We have this, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So this idea is in the background. And we get this, so what does it mean to be pure in heart? Does that mean we never have bad thoughts? Is it never, we're never tempted by anything? We don't ever have a bad day. I sure hope not. Because we do have bad days. Um, we do have times when we don't feel like being the best Christian in the world. And sometimes it's because people deserve it. Other times it's because we're schmucks. Um, goes both ways. That's a kind of a theological term, schmuck. You can look it up. The... Uh, but Psalm 73, we, we hit this one before a few years back, I guess, but Psalm 73 is just a cool, there's a verse that we'll hit it in the middle here that's just really cool. This is, a, this is one of those uh, complaining psalms, um, which I think it shows us that we can do that as long as we end the same places. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. There it is again, you know, people are, so pure in heart, what does that mean? That everything you do is right? No, God sees you as pure in heart because you've been adopted into the family. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Uh-oh. Envy. Isn't that in the top ten? You're not supposed to covet your neighbor's stuff. So he's having trouble with this. And I know you never have any trouble with any envy or anything like that. We all are happy when people who are horrible people get nice things. Don't you love that? <laughs> it's great. Um, but this goes on, and he just complains and complains and complains. It's kind of a short version of Job almost. And, he's, and, and there's bad things going on. But, then, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. It's kind of like he saw from God's perspective. Then I discerned therein. I mean, that's part of it. I'm not saying you should walk around and say, well, that person's really bad and good things are happening, but wait till they die. <laughs> then they're going to get it. I mean, I don't think we should think that. But that's, judgment will happen, right? God will, everything will be taken care of. There will be perfect judgment or grace. But think about it. I love 73 because everything's bad. And then he goes into the sanctuary. He goes in the presence of God, and his perspective completely changes. And I think that's always true. It can very much be true for us, right? You, you, you're down in the dumps, things have bad have happened to you, and then you go into the sanctuary of God and, and your perspective completely changes. I think that's happened to him. So pure in heart. Now, Matthew later in chapter 23, uh, which often is called the woe chapter, uh, has a contrast to pure in heart. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
For you tithe mint and dill and come in and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guys straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. That's the opposite of pure in heart, right? You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, and then the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and are un and uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So when we look at this, this is the opposite of pure in heart, right? It's looking good on the outside, but not on the inside. Um, we can trick people, but we can't trick God. So our, our goal is to have God see us the right way, not what other people say. The Puritans had a good, good way of looking at this. They called it the audience of one. You know, who are you performing for? Who are you trying to please? The one, you know, God. Now, hopefully, people in your life will also be pleased when you do that. In fact, I would uh, encourage you to have peers around you that are pleased when you please God. When you please the audience of one, you please them. Um, that's the best ones. If you have people around you who aren't pleased when you please God, then those probably shouldn't be your deepest friends. So for Jesus, a pure heart means you will sincerely honor him. I wanted, I want, you know, and you honor him just by having it, but you honor what you do with it. Now, he may have a dual meaning, and we see this a little bit in this, this contrast here. If you look at in, in Matthew 13, and I think it may be wrong in your outline. I corrected it up here. Uh, it's not 10, it's 13. Um, he helps us with this. The pure heart is unhindered in its ability to understand the heart and person of God. That's the idea. You've got to get rid of the sin, and then you can start seeing more clearly. Uh, and, and so in this sense, he's better able to see. And you see this back in Matthew 13. I don't know if you know much about that chapter. It's the kind of the kingdom of heaven parable chapter, starting off with the parable of the sower. And they ask him, you know, why are you speaking in parables? Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that you will indeed hear but never understand. You indeed see, but never perceive, for the people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and do not see it, and to hear what you see, hear and do not hear it. So what's the difference between being able to see God for who he is and not, there's something that happens in a person, right? John 3, you know, the Nick at night passage, you know, that when Nicodemus comes at night and he says, no one can even see the kingdom of God unless they're born from above. Something has to happen. You know, why is it you see that? Why does Nicodemus want to come to Jesus? Even though he kind of gets smacked around a little bit. But I think he has a heart for him. You see him, he's there at the, at the cross, too. And why do other Pharisees want to kill him? Something's different, right? Something's changed. Same information. You know, that happens. I don't know if that happens to you. I, I've, I think uh, magazines should give me a little bit of a kickback, because every time it seems like I try to talk to somebody, 
in an airplane about Jesus, the magazine becomes more important. It's like, yeah. Maybe not every time. But why is it that, and that's not true every time. Sometimes people want to talk about spiritual things, sometimes they don't. Uh, information's the same. And you want to step back and say, well, maybe I could have started that differently. I don't tend to start, so you, you think you're going to hell? <laughs> Who invited that guy, right? I mean, that's kind of a hard one. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't start that way. Uh, but the, you know, you know, we've talked about that in classes. You know, how would you start a conversation? It's like, you know, what do you think about spiritual things? It's not a bad one. Uh, R.C. Sproul always used, uh, he'd start talking to him about what he does, and he was a pastor and theologian. He'd say, well, you know, what do you think about God? And some people, I don't think, well, what do you do with the guilt? He'd always say that. And what do you think people would say? Usually one of two things. They would just kind of look at him like he's nuts, which I've seen that look. Or they're like, how did you know? Well, the one who's trying to seek will start realizing they're poor in spirit. The one who's not won't, you know. And we, we, we beat ourselves up by doing this, but think about it. Jesus wasn't all that, you know, what was his batting average with getting people to follow him? You know, how many people are left at the cross? And even those few don't really understand what the heck's going on. That doesn't mean let's go out and be bad evangelists. <laughs> I mean that. And don't, and don't beat yourself up. You know, I, I think one of the things you always want to learn is God does gift people for doing this, but you all can be what we call gardeners. You might not be a harvester, but you can be a gardener. Just try to help them a little bit, you know. Put a stone in their shoe, as Greg Kokel says. Just, and don't worry about getting everybody to the foot of the cross in every, every conversation. It doesn't work that way, right? Just be nice to them, ask if they ask you questions. And sure, yeah, if somebody, if we go to uh, meet and eat, where should we go? Let's do a vote. Thinking family table, let's try that. I don't know what I'm hungry for. Last time I said taco and I didn't get a taco and everybody jumped on me. Don't you know they're all the same? You know, it's just like different shapes, you know. You call it tostada or quesadilla, burrito. I mean, what's the difference, right? Anyway, moving on. <laughs> but, but if you go to one of these places and, you, and somebody comes up saying, hey, you go to Grace Church, can you tell me about Jesus? I would probably, that would be easy. I mean, how, many oft, how many times does that happen? doesn't happen that often. But you can talk about, you know, think about things. I mean, you do that. I mean, you, you all got a shower anyway, right? It's a good time to think about maybe. What if somebody came up to me and said, why, do you, why, do you, why, do you, why did you attend Grace Church this week? Why did you worship there? What would you say? And if you can't think of anything, talk to somebody else, see what they would say, you know? I mean, think about those things. You know, uh, it's, it, and maybe you can get in a conversation with somebody. But again, the pure in heart, that's the difference. The people who are looking and seeking will respond. People who don't, won't. But you also have this other thing, which is more eternal. Only the pure, the forgiven, blameless before God heart is able to enter heaven to enjoy the presence of God for eternity. Because eventually God will not tolerate evil. Right now, look around, he is. But that's not going to be forever. So the pure in heart will see God because ultimately only the pure in heart really want to. What happens in the Bible when somebody encounters God and they're not pure in heart? Isaiah 6, get away from me, you know, woe is me, you know, it, it, because they're not purified yet. Remember Isaiah, you think about that, the, the, the seraph comes and grabs the coals from the fire and puts it on his lips. <laughs> ah, 
That, that had to be, I mean, it's painful. I think it's a picture of the cross to some extent. But think about that. Only the pure in heart want to see God. There's people who don't want to, and I, I can't change that. I don't know if you've read Milton's Paradise Lost, but there's a great line in there that's attributed to Satan. And he says, it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And I think there's people who think that, you know. You do, there is a surrender level, and that, that's not a word we like, right? And that's true. I don't want to surrender any more than you do, but when it comes to a holy God, that's about all you can do. So blessed are the pure in heart, so they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, but they'll be called sons of God. Now we're getting into family stuff here. And see, this is where another one. It's not like, well, you're a peacemaker and you're not a peacemaker. No, this is for everybody. Peace is something we're all supposed to try to make. Christians are called to be peacemakers in both the church and the community and in their hearts. And think about this. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. We miss this. And, and again, back into Matthew, we're using him as a help to understand these Beatitudes better. 1032. This is one we don't use a lot. Um, I think we, we have to be careful that we, uh, let, don't, we don't think we can define these terms. We want, we want Jesus to define these terms, and I think that's uh, sometimes our problem. We think we know what things mean, and we don't, uh, we don't listen to the red letters. So more red letter stuff in Matthew 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. I could give you a second sermon on that one, but I'll, I want to eat too, so we'll keep moving on. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Now, I thought that's what we always talked about at Christmas. I think, again, what does he mean here? We'll go on. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Now, if you just take that verse by itself, you can get some really interesting theology, can't you? For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So are we supposed to have peace or not? He did not come to bring peace to the earth. What does he mean by that? Well, I think it's one of those equivocal words. In this case, I think he's not. I didn't come this time to get rid of the Romans. I didn't come this time to get rid of all conflict. I didn't come this time to end evil and sin forever, but I did come to put an end to it for all who believe. And, and this family pitting against each other. We don't have that much. I suppose maybe I look around, maybe some of you have that. But what happens in some cultures or even in all cultures if somebody becomes a Christian? It happened back then. You become a Christian. Now, what's your main loyalty? Your main loyalty is to God. And you may be in a pagan family back then or even now, and back then you had to give gifts to the emperor as a divine. And so now you start getting families there. So, But what's more important? That's hard, isn't it? Right now, I mean, I had a friend in seminary that was an uh, uh, ex-Hindu, he couldn't go back home. He was not welcome, even to the threat of death. This first meant a lot to him. You know, it's, it's, you know, complete obedience. It makes it hard, doesn't it? Sometimes it's almost too easy here, right? 
And I think that's it. He's not coming to bring peace in that way. Because ultimately, if we say, well, I want to keep peace in my family, so I'm not going to follow Jesus. That's not what he wants, right? Hopefully you get both. And I'm not saying it has to be that way, but it does make sense. So peace is first and foundationally internal and spiritual. That's what he's talking about. It's not primarily physical, military, or political. Uh, so peace for communities and nations flows from peace in the hearts of individuals. If you get that, everything else, it's always a, a bottom-up approach. We'll see that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. But we must understand where the true source of peace comes from in Colossians. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The peace you want is with God. That's what we talk about during Christmas, right? The peace with God. And what does that mean? Well, we're not enmity with him. We're not sinners in the hands of a just and holy God. We are forgiven sinners in the hand of a just and holy God. So you think about back, and what are we talking about? So those who are the blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be sons of God. You know, what does it mean to be a son of God, a, a, a child of God? We get this in Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So we are sons or children of God if we make peace like the Son. That's, and we have this at Christmas, you know this verse, it's kind of a good one. Um, but again, I think that what happened, and we can do that today, we think, uh, that this is all about absence of conflict out there. It's more of an internal thing. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What's another word for government? Matthew uses it a lot. We don't have those because we're a republic. Did you know that? We're a republic. Kingdom. Now, this is, this is kingdom language. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Of the increase of his government, kingdom, and of peace there will be no end. There it is again. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness for this time forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So if you want peace with God, this has to come from God. Uh, it's not just, you think about it, I, I just thought about that now. It's kind of scary sometimes in a sermon, but um, USSR was probably one of the most peaceful places for a while. Not a lot of conflict. People weren't rising up much. Why? It's complete peace. You know? What happened if you rise up? I mean, you can make peace if you want. You can make peace if, if you want, if you have a big enough gun. But this is, you know, Jesus' way is to start with the hearts and let it come through. And it and really is kind of the American way, too. I think that's where it started. Uh, so you think about something. We, we talk about cheap grace, so I thought we'd look at these different things. You know, cheap grace is, is uh, you know, grace without the cross, without repentance. That's a Bonhoeffer thing, if you want to read him. Cheap peace. Cheap peace is, you know, again, that's, that's Soviet Russia stuff. It's cheap. Versus real peace, it's costly because it only comes through Christ's blood. Cheap forgiveness would be, yeah, don't worry about it, but there's no reconciliation. You know, that's cheap. You know, there's a cost always. Cheap evangelism would be proclaiming the gospel without the cost of discipleship, and sometimes we do that. Come to Jesus and you get eternal life. Well, that's true. But what did he just say here? And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do we tell people that, or is this bait and switch? You know, you go to those places, and they always have that, you know, this real nice stuff you can buy in the box, and it looks cool, and you open it up, and it's a piece of uh, not good stuff. I think I could say the C word, can I? I'll have to look that up. But, but yeah, you think about it, it's bait and switch. We don't want to do that with evangelism, do we? Do we want to tell people, follow Jesus, and the rest of your life will be wonderful? I think it will, but not in the way you think it will, right? Is that peace is always there, but you're going to, I mean, Jesus told us. Well, what did they do to our leader, right? Did he come and talk about peace? And they said, you know, this sounds really cool. Let's all get on board. And the Romans said, you know what? I don't need these swords. And Tiberius, the emperor of the time, says, you know what? Why don't you come and sit on my throne? Is that the way it worked? <laughs> no. Did everybody come and just get it? You know, why? Because the cost is high. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Wait till we get into the meat. It's like, wow. Boy, he demands a lot. I didn't know the bar was that high. Well, let people know that, you know. Does it do any good to tell them everything's going to be rosy and then it doesn't happen? It's a false gospel. If there's no cost of discipleship or the call to faith without repentance, you know, got to change things. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, because of me. This gives us our audience, right? This has to be people who are disciples. Who is going to do this? Somebody who doesn't follow Jesus, when something, if somebody says, I'm going to you know, beat you up if you follow Jesus and you don't, what are you going to say? I don't know that guy. In fact, some people said that and knew him. Remember Peter? Oh, no, I, I don't know him. Why did Peter deny Jesus? Was he just thought it would be fun? This is probably because he was scared, right? That's a lot of times we do. I always wonder that. I don't, I don't know. I don't like thinking about those things, but what would happen if you had to? And we've seen stories of that, right, where people, even in our day and age, where they've been told, do you follow or not? And if you do, you've got lethal consequences. I've always said, I don't think I'm afraid of dying. I just don't want it to hurt. So I think it's my wussiness that would make that harder for me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I think, you know, his spirit helps us in our weakness and all that. You know, hopefully you get through that. I remember the Columbine girl. You remember that? That's probably the younger ones. Don't you can Google it. I mean, the, the way the story goes, she's sitting under a desk and that they were going through shooting and they asked her if she was a believer and she said yes and that was it. And I'd love to say, well, I'd do that too. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> I hope I never have to try, to tell you the truth. And I think there's always grace. If she would have said no, it doesn't mean all of a sudden she's in hell. But again, blessed are those who are persecuted because of me. Well, that's it. If you're in all, all in, you're not, if you're getting persecuted and your faith is weak, it's not going to last. It's probably some discipline for us. So Christ followers must put their connection to Jesus first. It's that audience of one. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, Peter says, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord and as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. This is what you, oh, this is always, I think, always be prepared to give an answer, give a defense. 
That's that word apologia. That's what we call apologetics. We do this a lot in our church. If you come to one of our Bibles, we're going to do that a lot. Teach you to defend your faith. For you, but for others. Because you get it out there all the time. And there's really good answers to these uh, questions that people have. But be prepared. This is the gardening thing again. Doesn't mean you have to go out and tell anybody, but if somebody asks, be ready. And it's okay to say, I don't know. But don't say, duh. Don't do that. At least have something. Think about it. What would you say if somebody asked, why are you a Christian? You know, isn't that a good, it's good to know that, isn't it? Do you have a good answer? You know, if you have any trouble with that, you know, text me, email, we will come up with something for you. And I think, you know, it's probably similar to other people's, but your walk's different than mine. You may have a different way of putting it. It needs to be real to you before it's going to be real to somebody else. So having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's kind of a good line, isn't it? Because we do suffer for doing evil, right? I mean, we, it seems like, and I think most contractors would tell you, it's right after you cuss when you hit your thumb with the hammer. Yeah, that's suffering for doing evil, right? Maybe. Uh, but it, it's, it, this is talking about suffering for doing good. You know, this is the persecuted for righteousness' sake. So Jesus is showing the continuity between the ministry of the prophets and the ministry of the kingdom servant here. He's saying that you, this is what happened to the prophets. We've talked about that before. It sounds so cool. But wouldn't it be cool to be in the Isaiah or a Jeremiah or a Zechariah or Jeremiah, one of these cool prophets? But did you notice how their life went? It's like, I don't think I'd sign up for that. Well, think of Moses, you know, one of the first maybe great prophet. Was he really fired up at the burning bush experience? It's like, you know, take your shoes off, come over here. I am who I am, and you need to go to Egypt and get my people out of there. And Moses goes, sounds cool. No, he's like, yeah, he gives excuse after excuse after excuse. It's a wonder God didn't just zap him right there. That would be a short, Exodus would be much shorter. It's like, you know, I am who I am. No, I don't want to go, all right, on to Joshua. You know, who's next? <laughs> okay, Josh, take your shoes off. We'll see if this works. But, but he, again, it, there's reluctance because it's hardship. You know, he's calling him to something going back there. So when you think about the opposite of this, you get this in Luke 6. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the false prophets. You know, he's quoting if, if you just kind of always put a little honey on the everything you say and then you just try to make it sound good. And, you know, sometimes it's hard. Uh, people say, you know, you get all kinds of people say, I, the one I like to get, or not like to get, but I get quite a bit is, uh, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I've heard that. And I'm like, well, I suppose that's true. But why would you not want to? I mean, I don't get that. I mean, and maybe church is the wrong word. You know, church is a people in the Bible. It's not a building. It's kind of changed in our culture. But you could say, I don't have to worship. That's really what you're saying, right? I don't have to worship. What do you mean have to? <laughs> I thought you would want to, you know? I mean, think about a relationship you have with somebody you really like. Do you want to have that relationship? Well, I don't have to, have, I don't have to go see them to have a good relationship. But don't you want to? You know, and those people are probably mildly annoying. God's not. Do you want to be with him? 
You know, or do you want to want to be with him? That's maybe even better. There's times maybe we don't, but I can get, if you don't feel like you should worship, maybe you should pray, God, I know you want me to, so give me the heart to want to. And then show up, and you never know what might happen. So both the prophets and kingdom servants, which is what we should be, uh, they're serving the same cause. We're advancing the same kingdom. You're serving the same king. Jesus promised that both would suffer the same abuse, but both would also receive indescribable rewards in heaven. It's kind of cool. And we get a lot of rewards here, too. I mean, I think it's, it's you know, I don't know if you figured that out, but it's relationships uh, and football. But uh, no, I'm just kidding about football. But even that, you think about it. I remember, you remember the, remember the Cheers uh, show? Anybody remember? You know, Norm, everybody knows your name. It's probably on Hulu or something if the kids want to watch it. Um, I think. Should I be recommending that? I don't know. If I scratch that, if I'm, but I just remember where everybody knows your name, right? You know what? It's still about relationships, right? It may not be centered around the right stuff in some cases, but why do people, because that, you know, that's the way we're created. We're social beings. So I think when you come back to this, you know, it's about a relationship. And, and when you have that with Christ, the world's going to go against it. We talked about that last week. So both they are going to have cause for rejoicing, the prophets and people who follow Jesus, in spite of their temporal circumstances, because it's back to the audience of one. And you think about it, persecution by king's enemies was one of the most significant marks of a kingdom servant, right? See that in Camelot? You see that throughout all history. If I can give my life for the kingdom. Well, this is kind of what he's talking about. It fits. It's hard for us because we're not in a kingdom. But it continues to be the theme of Matthew's gospel. The word kingdom is in here like a hundred times. You know? And what does it mean to be in God's kingdom that you're following the king? So you end this and you think, man, so blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Am I supposed to seek that? No. I should have put that in the outline. No, that's not, it'll, you know, we're in a fallen world, I'll take care of it. So what am I supposed to do? Well, God willing, we'll talk about that next week. Two disciples continue to try to change society by being salt and light. So we'll hit that in you. Let us pray. Father, we know uh, these words are from your son, red letter, uh, coming right from your mouth. We thank you for them as they help us understand what it means to true, be a true follower. Uh, thank you for these last beatitudes that tell us we're blessed if we are honorably trying to be good disciples and you give us your spirit to, and each other to help us do that so as we go into this week each person here may you give us opportunities to show our faith may we seek you more and more may we hunger and thirst for righteousness not seeking suffering but knowing in this world we will have trouble but we should be of good cheer because you have overcome the world amen